humidity is standing at 75%. And that's the news from RTHK. and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jenny Lam and my co-presenter is Janice Wong. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Today we're going to be talking about plans to redevelop Choi Hong Estate. The 60-year-old public housing complex is home to 17,500 residents and is a popular tourist hotspot. Visitors take photos of the basketball court there with the rainbow color flats as the backdrop. But there are now talks about redeveloping the estate in stages, although there's no official confirmation yet. So what do you think? Is it the right time to redevelop Choi Hong Estate? How can we preserve some of its original characteristics in the process? And where will the residents go? At 9.45, we will be talking about calls for better regulation of the, best, of the beauty industry after customers develop bacterial infections following fat removal procedures at a local salon. So let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. Joining us this morning is Ryan Yip. He's a Vice President and Co-Head of Research at our Hong Kong Foundation. Good morning, Mr. Yip. Good morning. morning. Also on the line is Mar- Marvin Chan, the past president of the Hong Kong Institute of Architects. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us, Bill Sievers, who's a tour guide and founder of Streets of Hong Kong Premium Tours, which offers tailored tours for locals and visitors, including in Choi Hong Estate. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Good morning. So let's go to you first, Mr. Yip. Uh, what do you think of the redevelopment of Choi Hong Estate? Well, I think it is a necessary uh, process uh, because, as you mentioned earlier, it's already uh, 60 years old. It's actually very amazing that you have uh, a, a large estate that is 60 years old and it is still very well built. You know, still, you know, it, it is it's still, it's still there. So uh, I think it's very sensible to you know redevelop uh, Choi Hong Estate. Indeed, I would expect it to to have done it earlier. Um, but then it is also very challenging because uh, I think one of the challenges is how you can relocate all these affected residents within the estate. Uh, the usual procedures of, of, of the housing authority of, uh, of redeveloping uh, old aged public housing estates, you, you have to uh, relocate the uh, residents within the same district. Uh, and then that is very that is, that is very difficult for Choi Hong Estate because it's, if, if we if, if we have been to the Choi Hong Estate, we will know that well. Then there are not a lot of land within the uh, district. So uh, I believe that would be a first of all that would be a staged process, uh, meaning uh, one or two uh, buildings will be uh, demolished, and then you you build one or two buildings within the district first, and then you will do it uh, phase by phase, stage by stage. I, I think that would take years or probably uh, more than 10 years to, 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 uh, to complete it. And um, so I think, uh, yeah, it's, firstly, it is uh, necessary. And secondly, it is uh, very difficult. As, uh, actually, it will be a uh, very time-consuming process. So one of the uh, ideas that being talked about is to relocate them to an estate on Wang Chiu Road. Do you think that will work? Yeah, I think that will work. But I think it also depends on uh, whether the, 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 the residents will be, will be willing to relocate to a you know, slightly further 
area. Uh, indeed, uh, I think one of the challenges of redeveloping uh, public housing estates in Hong Kong is actually relocation. While if, let's say, if we can have a more open-minded, uh, you know, mindset, uh, well, we can do a lot of things. Uh, we have a lot of new estates coming up in new territories, you know, a lot of them in probably later in Northern Metropolis. Well, if we can give some, some kind of incentives for the residents, if they are willing, let's say if they are willing to relocate to, you know, uh, public housing estates, not in the same district, but probably in new territories, well, first of all, they will, they will have a nicer homes because of these, 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 these uh, estates are a, a newer, and we can, uh, if we can some, give them some kind of, you know, discounts on the, uh, on the, on the rental levels, to attract them to relocate there. So if these these things, these kind of arrangements can be arranged, then probably we can hopefully speed, speed up the process. All right. And Mr. Yip, of course, the development plan of Choi Hong Estate has not been confirmed by the government yet. But if it is redeveloped, um, um, how, how will it actually help the, the shortage of housing problem in Hong Kong? How many extra units do you think it can provide? I mean, uh, because uh, uh, now it doesn't have any more height restrictions. I mean, previously, there was obviously a height restriction because it was near Kai Tak Airport. Well, uh, this is a very tricky question because in the short term, uh, it's going to help. It's not going to help the supply. Indeed, in the short term, it's going to reduce the supply because in the short term, you're demolishing some of the uh, units. Uh, so in the short term, the number of units will reduce. So hopefully, uh, over the long term, after the whole estate uh, is redeveloped, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we, we, we hopefully we have a higher plot ratio. Um, Probably, I think uh, we, are, we are looking at around a, 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 a maybe a half, you know, a, a few more thousand units uh, to be developed uh, there uh, if uh, the plot ratio uh, can be upscaled. Okay, uh, Mr. Ip, it, it's more than just about moving people from one building to the next, isn't it? So this Chong Estate, just to put some perspective, there are eleven blocks, and they're all uh, between seven to story uh, to twenty story high. So as Janice explained previously, there was a height restriction, and now these people have to go. It's sixty years old this estate, which means pretty much some of these people have lived there their entire lives. Uh, we're talking about breaking up a community, isn't it, of, of elderly folks. What do you think of that? Yeah, it is uh, very difficult. It, it actually, it, it faces not only on Chong estates, but actually on all of the uh, old redevelopment. So uh, I think um, the best uh, case scenario is uh, you can have uh, people relocate within the uh, hopefully same district. And then you can have, uh, hopefully keep, uh, the community intact. Although they are not in the same estate, uh, hopefully they will be in the same vicinity, uh, in the same area that they have lived for, let's say, 60 years. So it's, it's very difficult for them to leave their community and to leave their, you know, neighborhood, uh, behind them. So, uh, uh, the, the best case scenario is we can find some land within the same vicinity. To hopefully uh, we can have the uh, uh, the community uh, intact, but uh, it is uh, as I said, it, it is very difficult to do. And you, you, we, we always we also have to strike a balance. Uh, do we uh, how much do we do we want to keep the uh, community, but then 
uh, it would be, uh, it would be, uh, you know, it would be, it would be affect, it would be affecting the speed of the redevelopment. Uh, so, how, how, what, what kind of balance that we want to strike? I think uh, the best, uh, this is the best thing is we can have options. Uh, we, we have options either if you want to, you know, if you want to stay within the uh, communities, then. Uh, probably you, you you can, but uh, because of the limited uh, space for redevelop for redevelopment, then maybe you have to wait a little bit long longer time. And you, but then if you're willing to relocate to other locations, then then you will be able to uh, get in the new housing estate faster, and probably you can get some kind of you know this kind of rental as well. But I think the bottom line is uh, all all of this has to be voluntary. The government has to provide you know different options to the residents there so that they can choose. All right. Thank you, Mr. Yeb. I know that you have to uh, go at quarter past nine. Uh, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Uh, let's move on to Marvin Chan. Now, you with the Hong Kong Institute of Architects. We know, Mr. Chan, that uh, Chai Hong Estate has appeared in so many Instagram moments. What's unique about it, other than the colour? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, this, uh, this um, estate is really come to think because of the early because of it's um, um, uh, very um, what should you say very uh, uh, well planning uh, you see all the buildings on in, in it's a public house estates especially in the early age days that uh, they only have a shoestring budget yet they come up with a very good planning with all the high blocks that push to the perimeters, uh, so they have uh, maximized the distance between the block, so they can enjoy abundant lights, uh, views, and also ventilations, and um, and and as such. And also, when you look at these um, um, now the hotspot for the as youngster that the basketball especially, you can see that it's 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 very this space well it's well protected within. Uh, the buildings, so it feels uh, very protective when inside, and and also the the architecture itself is also a, a very um, a good example of the early modernist uh, architecture, where it's a simple, uh, functional, and yet it have a um, very modern aesthetic look. And uh, now with the, all the colors, that makes it a timeless uh, uh, sort of. It's never outdated when you when you are inside. So that I think is really a, how a good architecture and a good planning can also enlighten the people's uh, spirit and the sense of uh, uh, comfort. Yeah, Bill Sievers, you lead tours to Choi Hong. What do you show people when you're there? Uh, over the years, I've done hundreds, literally hundreds of tours through there. And I was doing it before people started going there because they were seeing it on Instagram. And the main thing is it's, it's, it is visually appealing, um, just like what was just stated. And the other thing that, you know, so I, a lot of photographers, I always, you know, I take professional photographers around, um, uh, amateur photographers who really want to, you know, get into it. And they that place always appealed to them when they said, I want to see a housing estate. In fact, a lot of people knew about it before I told them. Um, but then the, the other part of it, there, there's two other parts of it that people find appealing. Number one is the community there 
and the, the the safe environment is very different from what you might see if you visited a housing state in New York City, which is where I'm from originally <laughs> from. And I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. People are actually shocked when they go in there and say, this is actually a very nice place. This is very relaxing. And hey, look at this. You know, the stores are all here and we can see what, you know, what a traditional, almost what a traditional Chinese neighborhood looks like. Um and then the third thing that people are really shocked about is when I tell them that, yeah, well, this is just one housing estate of many in Hong Kong. And actually, almost 50 percent of the people in Hong Kong live in similar types of housing estates. So that's, that's all a very interesting story. And people thank me profusely when I take them and show it. It's not, you know, it's not the kind of run of a mill tourist site that people expect to see. But when they see it, it's very revealing to them um, uh, about Hong Kong. So, right. You said, um, you, the, yeah, you said you, you explained to your visitors that this is about a community. Yeah. Um, so, yes. so uh, redeveloping it essentially means a break up of a community. What what do you what do you think are some of the things that potentially might be gone? Well, um, you know, the, the estate itself is embedded in a corner of Hong Kong that is full of history. It's underneath the Lion Rock. It's um, right across the street. There's another place, um, Ngao Chiwan, which is very similar to what you would see in a Chinese village on the mainland, I suppose. You know, and people say, wow, I never expected to see anything like this, you know, in, in the center of Hong Kong. And then there's the whole story of the squatter estates, uh, the, the squatter settlements, and you can actually take people there and show them um, structures that are that are you know they are essentially squatter houses that have been modernized slightly. But when you go into that village, so when 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 you start the when I start the walk, I get off the number five bus. I go through the estate. They hear the whole story about the state. They see the community. Then they're shocked. They go upstairs on the garage and they see all those people in there taking Instagram photographs, it, it sort of validates what I've been saying about this place being important. Then you go into the underpass, you go past the MTO, and you go up into the village, you see the squatter settlements, and then you go up to Diamond Hill into um, the Chilin Nunnery, and you look at the view and you see all those housing estates as a panorama, and then people are just like visually, it really is overwhelming. People say, wow, I never expected to see any of this, and I never really expected to understand and learn about this. And there's three kinds of people that I take around and show this to. Some people just know about the Instagram thing, and then they hear this other stuff, and they say, thank you very much. I never would have known about that. Other people are just visitors who want to tour, and they want to see things in Hong Kong that are off the beaten track, and they're very happy when they get that. And then the third, which surprised me, is I get a lot of local people who say, Bill, show me Kowloon, because I live in Kowloon for 20 years now. And when I take it, just, just this spring, I had one gentleman from um, um, Sydney, who's a doctor, but grew up on Graham Street in, um, in Central. And he told me a story I found very interesting. He said, you know, Bill, when I was a kid, my uncle lived in this estate, and we used to come out here on weekends, and this was sort of like going to the country for us and having a good time. And he started telling me about what it was like there. So there's this nostalgic element, too, for local people. And then, of course, most importantly, there are people who live there and who have lived there all their lives. So this thing is really a very, you know, but you can't stop progress. If 
the building the building's 60 years old and um you know it's in good shape but uh eventually they have to come down and that's it looks like we're approaching that point and i guess we should all enjoy it as long as we can Right. Uh, Mr. Sievers, I mean, you've been talking about uh, how Choi Hong Estate is like a, a tourist a hotspot, basically. So if it is re- redeveloped, uh, what sort of impact do you think it will um, have on tourism? I mean, will there be um, less for people, less for visitors to see in Hong Kong when at a time when well, we're trying to attract more of them to come and visit Hong Kong? You know, I think Hong Kong is probably the only place in the world where, where a housing estate has become a tourist attraction. Um, which is kind of unusual, but there are many. You know, there are there are other places where people that people can be taken, like like Tuk Chuen. We actually have a. I think we're probably the only city in the world that actually has a museum in Sham Shui Po dedicated to what it's like to live in the old housing estates. Uh, so to to basically tell people about this and find places where it can be demonstrated, that's my job. Okay. Um, but you know, this is just one location, which is primo, I would say. And I would only hope that with all the construction that's going on, that they would pay a little bit more attention because I've noticed that these places that were constructed in the 60s and early 70s, it seems like the way they were encouraging the architects to go is to make unusual buildings. So they're not all cookie cutter buildings that are basically big boxes that, that where the main priority is density. Yeah, um, I think that's a nice thing and you know, Let's see what happens. Yeah, so Marvin Chan, um, it's, yeah. it's not just about density is a, it, and not cookie-cutter buildings, making something that, well, you, you explained earlier that you said Choi Hong is simple but functional yet outdated. So how do you think um, a new development should look, a new public housing estate should look? Uh, well... Um, of course, now uh, because of the the urge, so everything's uh, emphasizing on the speed of construction. So the easy thing is, of of course, uh, uh, standardize all the uh, procedures as well as the design. That's uh, one way. But we we really think there's a lot of uh, ingredient that can infuse into, especially for a public um, um, housing estate, as I said, to rebuild actually. The, the main thing is that the building is meant for people. And so it's, it's the way is that how, apart from the concrete, then how we can get some um, 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 some more features and more um, uh, events that be created, uh, and facilities built for the people. And uh, I see some of the times they, they introduce, now introduce some of the elements like uh, in, in Chai Hong Estates, they do one of the things that how they come to a community is that instead of a centralized, um, you know, a, a commercial um, um, center where all the shops are grouped under one roof, they, they are actually uh, lying underneath the blocks where they utilize, it's like uh, the old street, create a street aligned um, community. And all the things, so is uh, all the things can in some way, hopefully can be recreated. Um, in that uh, to make an estate a really a, 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 um, a community feeling. I think that's more that uh, as an architect, we should think more and to to get all these um, 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 human um, orientated environment. 
Right, Mr. Um, Chen, you just mentioned that some of the uh, uh, some parts of uh, Choihong Estate can be uh, recreated. Um, but, but I mean, earlier we talked about uh, the colorful exterior walls and the basketball court of a Choihong Estate. Do you think uh, some of these uh, these parts can be uh, um, maintained? I mean, can, it, it, do you think it's important to maintain some of its uh, original characteristics, like the basketball court and the colorful walls? I mean, what, what can we do? I, to- I think that uh, this kind of thing is not difficult to create, but of course, it had to cope. Uh, I think uh, now it's uh, medium to low rise, uh, 20 stories, seven stories. And uh, in future, I understand that in order to maximize the, the potential, it will rise to maybe 40 story, double the size, which would be very different. We cannot expect that would be uh, really 100% the same um, 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 of, um, atmosphere in terms of the physical sense. But um, I think certainly at the street level, there can be much more can be done. A bus bill is not that difficult. I think certainly some of these the factor may be actually um, uh, a guiding principle in the how to incorporate or integrate into the new design. I think I think all these uh, is not that difficult. But actually, I think the most important is that you uh, that one that's what we think is uh, the the most uh, attractive uh, feature, as I said, is the community sense of community and of uh, uh, is building a safe environment when you coming, everybody look down into the basketball. So you really look at the very simple and uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, planning and straightforward planning. But uh, all the things um, uh, that uh, we hopefully that uh, the new new estates can have that sort of uh, replica of that sort of uh, um, environment. Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier, though, Mr. Chen, that you felt it is outdated. What is outdated about it? No, actually, I'm not saying outdated. I'm saying it's it's not dated. So basically, it's uh, it's the, the even you look at the, this uh, Chaihong State, the the look of it is still very modern. It's very lasting because they don't have uh, outdated decoration. It's because of the simplicity. The the beauty of uh, modern architecture is uh, sometimes you make things too simple. But when you look at it, it's it's uh, it can withstand the the the, the change of time uh, because it's. Is 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 an honest thing about it. So even today, you, if you look at it, it's not. I mean, it's not outdated. It's not the the look is not dated. I must care about that point. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Even if you look at that, it's still very very simple. Even if you use a modern, it compared to the 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 latest uh, public housing edit, you still looking. It still look uh, 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 reasonably good. I, I must say. <laughs> Right, and uh, like I mentioned earlier, um, there's been no uh, formal uh, confirmation that a redevelopment of uh, Choi Hong Estate will uh, go ahead yet. But uh, um, when we're, I mean earlier this week, uh, Housing Secretary Wenyi Ho uh, she did say that several factors will have to be considered when selecting housing estates for redevelopment. For for example, she said that the the quality of the building structure, the amount of money that uh, is already used uh, for repairs and maintenance, and uh, whether it uh, will be more difficult to maintain the buildings uh, in future. Uh, the, these are some of the factors she uh, talked about. Um, Mr. Chen, uh, when we look at these factors, what's your assessment of uh, Choi Hung Estate? Okay, the first of all, the, um, of course, 
the um, uh, uh, current uh, uh, states of the structure is a main consideration. Uh, um, and, and, and the Taiwan State is built in 1962 to 64. So it's really, as uh, now it's over 60 years. Right? Um, and uh, and on on those days, especially in the early 60s, the quality control of the um, the concrete is not that was not that good, um, and 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 I was told and and also seen from various media that, that there's a lot of uh, concrete spoiling. Water speech has become a recurring uh, problem to many of the flats. So and 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 that's one of the of the first thing. Then because of that, then there's a recurring maintenance cost uh, is pretty high because uh, it's uh, you have to keep on uh, doing things. It's uh, almost double and uh, the the normal cost. So in the long run, it's it's not really effective. Okay, and, all and right. Then, and then also the 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 the, uh, um, the potential of uh, more units All that right. can be available. Yeah, we're uh, sorry to cut you off. There, we'll we'll come back to you uh, just after the news. Uh, we so let's have a look at the weather right now. It's mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches. The maximum temperature will be about twenty eight degrees. Moderate to fresh easterly wind, occasionally strong offshore and on high ground at first. The outlook is for brighter weather in the next couple of days. Windy over the weekend, and the temperatures will fall progressively to around 20 degrees early next week. Right now, the outside temperature is 25 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity 75%. And here's Haley Yip with the news. A human resources consultancy says it's optimistic that Hong Kong people will get an average 4% wage rise this year and next. However, ECA International added that after allowing for inflation, real wage growth would drop from 1.8% this year to 1.7% in 2024. Greenpeace says reusing plastic tableware is still better for the environment than disposing of single-use recycled products. It wants the government to work with the food and beverage sector to set up a borrow-and-return scheme for tableware. And Israel has been holding a day of memorials to mark one month since an attack by Hamas killed more than 1,400 people. Crowds across the country lit candles and held a minute, minute silence. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. The Labor Department is holding the Seizing New Opportunities Job Fair at Dragon Center in Shamshoipo on November 8th and 9th. Around 40 employers will offer a wide range of job vacancies and accept applications on the spot. Please visit the Labor Department website at jobs.gov.hk or call 2153-3985 for details. Improving district administration and reforming district councils matter to the well-being of us all and are essential to the good governance of Hong Kong. Candidates who are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong and the community, please strive to win the valuable votes from the voters. Voters, please cast your vote on December 10th. Pick your preferred candidate. Let's build a nice and harmonious community together. Cast your vote at DC election on December 10th for a better community. So welcome back to Back Chat. This morning we're talking about the redevelopment of Choi Hung Estate. We have a listener, Ilna, who's written in, and um, the, 
the email says, while the idea of redeveloping Chaihong Estate holds promise, it is crucial that comprehensive public consultation takes place, allowing for a thorough examination of all aspects involved by incorporating the perspectives of stakeholders and considering the long-term benefits and potential challenges. We can work towards a redevelopment plan that respects a community heritage, meets the needs of its residents, and, and ensures a sustainable future for Choihong Estate. And, and the email goes on to say, having spent two years working in the Choyong Estate community, uh, he's witnessed, I have witnessed, he says, firsthand the need for revitalization and redevelopment in the area. It is important to recognize that Choyong Estate is more than just an Instagram-worthy spot, as there are numerous other housing estates in Hong Kong that are also popular with tourists. The focus should not solely be on catering to the demands of tourism, but rather on addressing the needs and aspirations of the residents who call Choi Hong Estate, their home. Marvin Chen, what do you think of the idea of public consultation on what the future should be for Choi Hong? Uh, well, always uh, um, these uh, all the the interests of the, all the stakeholders should be considered. Um, that uh, um, the um, uh, consultations are always welcomed, which can help to um, to help we build a better uh, environment upon redevelopment. If any, okay. Yeah, of course, sustainability is is uh, a big considering now a consideration nowadays. Whatever we build, how can we make a future of a housing estate more sustainable? Um, now, first of all, at, uh, of course, the first thing is uh, this we call a passive. In terms of uh, planning, we can always do some uh, passive uh, uh, sustainable design, which is. We careful and, uh, and analyze the um, the wind direction, the sun path, and then so we can get these uh, um, dispose the, um, the the blocks at the maximum uh, location. So we can uh, maximize the utilization of uh, natural um, winds and ventilations. So uh, cut the reliance on the um, um, aircon, which will be a, a big contributor to the uh, carbon. Um, uh, uh, emission. So, so um, this is the first things that we can do, and also understand. That actually, the housing authority has been using various uh, means to um, uh, uh, scientific, uh, technical means to analyze to find the best uh, uh, disposition of all the uh, uh, building uh, building blocks within the estate for some times. So they do have quite a mature. Um, uh, so the skill set to to uh, achieve this uh, sustainable environment. But I think apart from the physical thing, also the I still I, I, I still feel that uh, the actually uh, the estate after all is for the people. So it's how to get the people involved to rebuild a community that uh, they are comfortable with. Uh, they are happy to live with, and that's most important. So, apart from fiscal aspect, I think some of the things I've said, uh, the um, elements of the um, uh, the past memories uh, probably can uh, so somehow be uh, incorporated into the future de uh, development. Sure, uh, Bill Sievers, we've been talking a lot about community spirit um, in Choi Hong Estate, and our listeners written in to say that a redevelopment plan should respect the community's heritage. Now, in Choi Hong, what's what's uh, the sixty-year-old estate is that the 
tend to be the shops are downstairs and then the resident residential flats are upstairs in more modern uh, well public and private housing estate there tend to be a centralized mall where people empty out into the buildings you walk around the mall you don't know anybody uh, rather than you know the shop downstairs kind kind of feel um as far as you're concerned, uh, where else in Hong Kong has that kind of community feeling, and how does how does it affect, you know, Hong Kong's identity as as you know as, as a culture? Well, I live in Tokawan, and uh, Tokawan is undergoing a lot of redevelopment now. It's not a housing estate, but there are housing estates a couple blocks from me. And um, it's very sad watching all these old businesses shut down. Um, some of them try to reopen, but there's a mom and pop stores. And when you go in or restaurants and when you go in and sit there and enjoy yourself, you notice that everybody, you know, they're, they're long term people that have been in the neighborhood and that's where they congregate. So when a place like that disappears, well, that impacts the neighborhood. And it's very difficult to replicate that because people have to move. You know, So we're, around where I am, <clears throat> several blocks have just come down and there's a lot of construction going on. I don't know, maybe you can hear it in the background from where I'm sitting. But uh, uh, those people all, you know, they get scattered. Same thing will happen to Kowloon City. You know, it's a Thai neighborhood. And, you know, as I said before, you can't stop the wheels of progress. Um, but you can try, I guess, to do these things in a way that, that, that people don't get scattered, that they, that they somehow gyrate back. It's not very easy to do. But if you just don't pay any attention to that and just keep rebuilding everything, well, then the city just loses its character and just becomes another city, you know, mm. just another city. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, uh uh, Marvin Chan, of course, uh, Tohong Estate is near where Kaitak used to be, and there's now a big redevelopment plan for that area. You know, there's there's a, a grand plans for for uh, high end housing there, uh, down where you, used to be the runway. How do you see Tohong integrate into this whole grand plan of redeveloping that area of Kowloon? Uh, well, it's in, it used to be a remote locations uh, in, in those days, but now it's, it's considered uh, yeah, a central area, obviously. Um, the, the, um, the, um, the uh, connections to the neighborhood will become uh, quite important. So upon redevelopment, we expect that uh, that would have some sort of uh, 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 linkage to the uh, surrounding um, um, estates, be it uh, 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 private or public, so that would uh, create an integrated uh, uh, neighborhood. I think that uh, certainly we we'll, we'll need to look into um, uh, these aspects, so that uh, you you become more accessible to to the people, not just uh, as an and close to a community. And especially if we we think of uh, we use the um, these. Uh, um, idea of redeveloping is that each housing blocks you will have to have its own facilities but looking around there actually there are quite a lot of other facilities whether they can actually um, have less uh, those uh, maybe some of the commercial activity we can still relegate to the street level 
and uh, uh, may not need to have uh, one big uh, uh, jump center for, for its own and try to make use of the surrounding existing contents. And maybe we can leave more space at this, uh, uh, um, uh, this um, uh, area uh, upon uh, redevelopment. So we can recreate as much as uh, open space and also commune space as possible. Right. And uh, Mr. Chen, I mean, earlier, uh, Mr. Sievers, he was talking about how uh, in many of these redevelopment lands that he's uh, seen, many residents are, are scattered everywhere and, uh, and uh, you know, they, 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 they sort of uh, end up losing characteristics. Um, in your view, Mr. Chen, how can we strike a better balance when, we, when it comes to redevelopment of uh, these old housing estates? Can we keep both? It's it always a challenge. Uh, I think in days, as I said, the, the, the real progress and the thing sometimes you just can't uh, have it. For example, in the future, you look at a 40-story building, it will be totally an entirely different uh, ambience and atmosphere as compared to a 720-story um, estates, right? Because we can, when you look up, we can see the sky. But it, it would be a bit difficult because we have a very narrow view of the, when you look upwards. So all the things will, will, will change. We have to change. We, we have to accept it in, 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 because we need more units. And that's the ultimate uh, uh, means and benefit of our redevelopment and the goal of redevelopment. But at the same time, I think um, still we can still find uh, some uh, localized uh, area. We, we, we can try to regulate the old um, the gathering space, something protected area. I think. Uh, and if you look at the, the more uh, modern uh, public um, estate, I think they are trying to recreate uh, somehow with the opportunity. I think with especially with uh, Chai Hong Estate, because of the these uh, uh, this uh, collective memory so strong among the community, is is really um, uh, uh, that's uh, such a welcoming spot. I think some of the things can be can be is more um, sort of uh, more valuable to uh, retain this uh, character. Bill Sievers, you, you run tours. Um, for, uh, the theme is the streets of Hong Kong, presumably is to showcase characteristics of Hong Kong. Where else, other than Choi Hong, um, do you take your visitors to explain Hong Kong as a cultural identity? You know, I, uh, there's two sides of Hong Kong. And of course, on Hong Kong Island, I focus more on the colonial period, obviously, because that's where it all began. But when I talk about the so-called Hong Kong economic miracle, I take people around Kowloon. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I basically, I, I start at the Star Ferry, and I take the number five bus, and I... I, I circle around like I just described. And then, of course, the next stop is, um, it all depends on how much time people have, but I can do that whole narrative just by getting off at Wong Tai Sin, okay? Actually, Wong Tai Sin, if you get off there and, and you stand in front of the temple, you're looking up at the Lion Rock, you have housing estates all around. You can just stand there and, and, and give the same, you know, narrative and, and people are really, you know, there are, I, I've taken people there for wedding shoots actually, you know, because it's, 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 it's a real um, condensed point where you can see, you can get the whole story. There actually, are, there are remnants of squatter villages there next to Wong Kai Sit. So in basically in 15 minutes, I can walk around and give the same story. 
Um, so it's not like we're, that that this this whole thing is going to disappear. But all along that that um, that MTR line, then you, you know you can get off at, at Shek Kipnei and then walk down into Shamshui Po and then circle over to Mongkok. That's what people want to see. That's sort of like a street safari. And people, when they do that for a whole day, they really feel like they they're leaving Hong Kong with something they didn't expect they were going to see. Thank you very much, Mr. Sievers, uh, the founder of Streets of Hong Kong, and also Marvin Chan, past president of the Hong Kong Institute of Architects. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Christine Choi, the Secretary for Education. Congratulations on the 95th anniversary of RTHK and many wishes for its future success. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. It's now 9.45 and we're going to be talking about how to better regulate the beauty service industry. So we're talking about that because the police arrested two women over unlicensed medical practices um, where 16 clients had a bacterial infection. And now so there are four suspects in, involved in this case. And just to give some perspective, this was something called Mycobacterium abscessus, which is a bacteria that you find in water and soil and dust, and it can contaminate medical equipment and medical devices, etc. Joining us now is a Dr. David Lam. He's a lawmaker and medical health sub- services. Mr. Lam, Dr. Lam, uh, what do you think of this case? Uh, it is rather a tragic case that uh, many people are infected with possibly contaminated substances injected into their bodies. Now, at this moment, I don't think we have a lot of information as to how it's happened, but it can happen with a lot of, uh, um, well, wrong procedures, put it that way. Uh, first of all, when you inject something into a person, that would be regarded uh, generally as a medical procedure, especially when that substance is aimed to alter the structure or physiology of the person. Um, And the substance itself could be a pharmaceutical product that we don't know at the moment, or it could be an unregistered substance. We don't know how it was stored. We don't know whether Uh, It has an expiry date on it or not, and if that is the case, has it been expired? We don't know whether it was used, uh, kind of a single-use ample or a multi-use vial, whereby many people may use the same substance uh, from the same bottle repeatedly. And again, we do not know whether the procedure was uh, undertaken using an accepted aseptic technique. So there are a lot of things that we don't know, and all these can contribute to infection and possibly cross infection between people. It's certainly not the first time this has happened in Hong Kong, where be- people go to beauty parlor and they get injected with something, and then and then you know, uh, or other other forms of so-called medical beauty procedures. Why are the beauty parlors allowed to do this kind of procedure? Inject anything. <laughs> Now, there was a report 
back in 2013. Um, it was released by a work group to differentiate between uh, medical procedures and uh, cosmetic services. And this work group was formed under the steering committee or the regulation of private healthcare facilities, well, which is, of course, under the then uh, Food and Health Bureau. So the report was an official one. And one of the recommendations, in fact, the very first recommendation was that injection of materials into the body should be done by doctors. So even if you take that particular working work group report, uh, what's happened today is in breach of that recommendation. Now, um, I am not aware there are harsh rules uh, that regulate um, the practice of cosmesis in Hong Kong. In fact, I, I'm not quite sure if there are any rules apart from those that regulate all businesses. There is no definition of the practice of medicine in Hong Kong. So it seems like it all comes down to common sense if a case is, uh, goes to court. It will be judged by case laws. All right. So 10 years ago, we had recommendation. As a lawmaker, mm -hmm. do you think it's time to actually legislate? I do think it is time for us to define what is medical practice. In a broad sense, not only practiced by doctors, but by healthcare personnel. Uh, there are some principles behind it. For instance, you are making a diagnosis and you are offering a procedure to someone that has a potentially therapeutic benefit and also it comes with a potential side effects or complications. Uh, so, so there are ways that you can define medical procedures or at least have principles that underlie what is meant by a medical procedure. I think it's just high time we really sit down and define, define it. Yeah, you Otherwise, said, everyone can be just doing things, similar things everywhere. Yeah, sure. You said in 2013 there was recommendation uh, about, you know, what, what, what people are or aren't allowed to do in beauty parlours. Was there no enforcement then? It's just recommended? Was there no enforcement? I am not sure if the Department of Health has enough manpower to go and check every beauty parlour over the, over the, over the years. But what I am quite certain is that people are not too aware, or well, their awareness, is, their awareness is just too low that such procedures can come with serious complications. And sometimes the side effects of such procedures can be irreparable. Therefore, the first thing is to educate the public that such injection procedures or any invasive procedures has to be done or directly supervised by medical personnel. So, so in terms no, of education, are you, are you saying that, that the clients of beauty parlors should just, you know, turn down any form of injection of any kind? What, what, what else other than injection? Now, if you want them to turn down something, there has to be some sort of a law or at least a guideline or code of practice. But to educate the public is kind of a more wide perspective of telling people what they should expect. Now, if someone goes to a doctor and the doctor recommends surgery, then that patient would certainly wish to know, is this doctor competent? What's happened? His training? Is he really qualified? But when it comes to so-called cosmetic procedure or invasive cosmetic procedure, 
seems to me that people are not that keenly aware that those has to be done by someone who is really qualified and such procedures can lead to irreversible complications. So that's something we have to, I mean, that kind of awareness is what we have to educate the public on. Uh, so what's your advice for beauty parlor customers? What should they say no to when it comes to services being offered to them? Well, injection is definitely one. The use of high energy or high, intensive, uh, high intensity machines uh, is another. Now, that can be a bit tricky for the general public because there's very, it's sometimes very hard to tell whether some kind of a machine or the light or whatever the laser it produces is strong enough to cause harm. So there has to be some regulation, not only on um, the scope of procedures that can be done, but also uh, the machines that has to be used only by qualified personnel. If you say something is a medical device, okay, then it is usually something that can produce harm or benefit to a patient, depends on how you use it. And provided the, the intensity of the energy is severe enough, it can inflict severe harm. And those machines have to be done only under very stringent conditions and by qualified personnel. And that comes to what we call a medical device law. Now, such a law is absent in Hong Kong, uh, which is quite disappointing because, as far as I remember, uh, the government has placed a medical device bill to the Legislative Council back in 2017. That's well before I was there. And then the law was somehow withdrawn by the government, uh, probably because in the face of opposition from some stakeholders. Okay, uh, you, you talk about laser. Uh, what other so that may or may not be medical device that are currently being used in beauty parlors that you would consider potentially dangerous? Another uh, machine is called the high intensity ultrasound. Uh, for some time, well, it's not so common nowadays that people put the tube up the uh, the back passage, the inner rectum, and. Uh, instill water into well, a warm solution into the rectum and the colon in order to purge it of so-called toxins. Of course, that has no uh, scientific basis as to what toxins they're talking about, but that procedure is another example uh, of a, an invasive procedure because it can cause perforation of the uh, gastrointestinal tract and that can lead to severe sepsis or even death. So these are things that we have to really look into and consider regulating who can use it, and whether those devices have to be regulated and licensed. Uh, so there are lots of things we have to do. But the first thing is to define what is medical practice. Right. And, so, so are you? Yeah. Uh, so as a lawmaker, are you going to do that? Bring back the medical device uh, law and and better define what is medical practice. Yes. For the medical device law, I think it is still on the table of the government. But how, when are they going to bring it back? I don't know. But then to define medicine or the practice of medicine is something I really look forward to. Uh, and I certainly will uh, talk to the government and hope they will look into it. What, what about licensing these beauty parlours when, when they, when, when they, you know, potentially break the law like that? Do you, do you think we should look, you know? into more details more about whether they should be licensed? 
Uh, I'm more keen to define what is medicine and what can be done only by qualified medical personnel. Uh, but outside that, I would rather leave it to people who understand their profession more. All right. Um, so this is not the first time it has happened. What, what do you think we can do to sort of uh, enforce the recommendation that you talk about in uh, recommendation made in 2013? You said the health department doesn't maybe doesn't have enough people to, to look at it. You, you talk about educating people. What, what more mm -hmm. can be done? Well, it often comes down to whether people report such incidents. If a customer goes into such places and then he's got injected, then he finds out that such a person is not a medically qualified person. The best thing is for him to report to the police. Otherwise, there are lots of things happening and hidden. So uh, I don't think any department of the government has enough manpower to just monitor it unless they are kind of regulated. But then again, we should be regulating the cosmetic services. It shouldn't be the health departments, right? Yeah, but what, what potentially can happen to the customers? I mean, this time we're talking about some bacteria oh, that causes abscess. What, what, yeah. what, can ha what other terrifying well, things? One, <laughs> that is only one. Well, bacteroides abscesses, is, I mean, the microbacteroides abscesses is just one bacteria that we identify so far. But if the same bottle of medicine is used for different people, and if I'm saying if a septic technique is not used stringently, then cross-contamination and cross-infection can occur. So some people may carry some other illnesses or even HIV or other viruses, and that can possibly be transmitted through contaminated needles and contaminated medicine to other people who later use uh, such medicine. So that can be, I mean, that just can be the tip of the iceberg. If you look into it, other uh, microbacteria, microorganisms that causes that potentially causes illnesses might be there as well. We don't know. Yeah. So that's one. Mm -hmm. and, and another thing is, if you inadvertently inject some bacteria into bloodstream instead of uh, a cavity or into the soft tissue, if it goes into the bloodstream, then the bacteria can go around the body and cause severe sepsis that can cause death in a matter of hours. And if you if some people use high-energy devices on the surface of a body, they can cause deep burns. And extensive deep burns is, again, well, first of all, it's disfiguring, and secondly, it causes infection. It predisposes to infection. And thirdly, it requires a very long-term treatment and maybe multiple surgeries in a very long period of rehabilitation. So these are not simple things, but they can lead to severe harm. And whenever a doctor provides a surface to somebody, he has to really explain the pros and cons, the potential complications, and cause an informed consent. Right. And we do not, as doctors, as medical personnel, we do not just sell the services, but we see if it's really necessary. So it's a principle of difference okay. between two. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning, Dr. David Lam, with for the medical and health services sector. And thank you very much uh, to Janice and our producer, Raphael Vlad this morning. We're coming up to 10 o'clock and news will be here next.